We are in a series called The Biography of J.R.R. Tolkien, and partly because I like Tolkien and I'm a big nerd, there was this Jeff Bezos Amazon series that came out, super disappointed in that. You know, the most expensive film series ever made, and well, anyway, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of a grumpy bear on that. But, you know, I just got this today from one of our church family members. Like, he's just, he's, he, uh, so he's popular right now. So this is an article on Tolkien and how, uh, how, his, how his life experience fed into his literature. He fought in World War I. He sent one of his kids to World War II. He had major trauma growing up as a young boy. One of the stories which he kind of denies, but when he was a young boy in South Africa, a deadly spider bit him, and he almost died from a spider bite as a young boy. And if you've read the books, spiders are bad guys in his books, right? And from the very beginning, the, 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 the main evil character is a big, giant, fat, ugly spider. And then in The Hobbit, there's like all these spiders that catch the good guys and they're going to suck the life out of them. And then the Lord of the Ring, Frodo battles this really big, giant, evil spider in, in the darkness, and he almost gets it. And so people are like, oh, Mr. Mr. Uh, Mr. Tolkien, so... Do you, have, do you have spiders as your villains in your book because it, you were bit by a child and almost died? And he's like, no. <laughs> Mr. Tolkien, uh, you know, when you write about battles in your books, they're pretty intense. And, you know, you've got poisonous gases floating around and, and you know, high-tech weapons. So did World War I influence you at all in your writings? Like, no, of course not. I'm just writing fantasy novels. And so he denied, <laughs> kind of denies all of these connections. But, you know, you just put some Freudian psychologist to the task and they'll be like, yeah, whatever, Mr. Tolkien. I say that he's the most influential Christian in the 20th and 21st century just because of the popularity of his books, but also because he led C.S. Lewis to the Lord. And C.S. Lewis, as you know, is, I mean, he's a big deal. Mere Christianity, the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, the whole series he did on the BBC and leading an entire nation back to the Lord, it was huge what he did. And he was a born and bred atheist. And through conversations with Tolkien, Tolkien either logically or spiritually led him into a personal relationship with Jesus. It's a huge deal. So they had this, um, this little nerd gathering called the Inklings. And so Lewis and, uh, and Tolkien and a couple of other professors, they would go to this pub in England called the Eagle and the Baby, and they would sit around all night long drinking beer, smoking pipes, talking theology, and writing stories. And probably hiding from their wives. Right, But it was like this cool little community where they just bounced ideas off each other. They encouraged each other. They, 
Uh, this, is, this is where Tolkien says, Lewis, you need to start writing. You need to publish the Chronicles of Narnia. And then it, then it, then it went the other way. Lewis became famous, and he says, Tolkien, this, like, these stories are amazing. And Tolkien's like, well, it's just my hobby. It's just what I do at night when I'm not working. Like, literally, the, the whole, this, this whole world was his hobby at night because he was a full-blown professor. He did everything you know, just for his own entertainment. And Lewis talked him into publishing it. Could you imagine if, if he hadn't have been in fellowship? We wouldn't have these great works if Tolkien just would have kept them to himself. So that's why we need to find people to hang out with. That's why, we need, that's why we need to be in a small group and bounce ideas off of each other, encourage one another, become friends. All right, how many people have friends? Maybe you have, some of you have friends. How many people have friends that they need to get rid of? <laughs> you have some bad friends that are bad influences, and you need to have new friends, right? Okay. Let me ask you even more of a personal question. How many, you don't have to raise your hand on this one. How many people have been deeply wounded and hurt by a close friend. Yeah. You know that despite this beautiful little community of pipe-smoking, beer-drinking theologian authors, despite their, their, the way that they encouraged each other, did you know that there was some bad blood between Lewis and Tolkien? Like most people don't know that, but they were great friends. And then there was a riff in their relationship. There was a divide in their relationship. You guys want to know what it is? Well, Tolkien was a devout Catholic, very serious about his faith. A priest adopted him and his brother at a young age and literally saved their lives. And when they got around to getting Lewis to accept Jesus into his heart, Lewis accepted Jesus into his heart and, and, then, and then became a Protestant. And that one decision... Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh, must be a good sermon coming up. <laughs> that one decision bred some bad blood between them. Because Tolkien is like, well, the Catholic Church is the one true church. It's, it's the one true communion. That's the only place that you can go to re receive Holy Communion. And so he was hurt that he'd worked all this time in leading Lewis to the Lord, and Lewis accepted Jesus, but he joined the other team, I guess you could say. He, he, didn't, uh, he didn't come into complete alignment with Tolkien's beliefs, and there was, there was a breaking in the fellowship. You see where I'm going with this, don't you? What's, what's the number, book, number two book? Fellowship of the Rings, right? 
And so, once again, we see Tolkien writing about his life experiences in his stories. And in a way, this is how he's working his stuff out, right? This is how he's working out betrayal. This is how he's working through disappointment. And the clip that we're going to see, I really need to set it up for you. It's called The Council of Elrond. And it is... I want you to see it in a different light. So, yes, there's weird-looking elves. There's some, you know, hairy dwarves and androgynous elves that you're going to see, and, and that's okay. But I want you to see it in a different light. I want you to see it as, um, like, these are, these are believers. They're believers from different denominations. They're believers with different perspectives and different traditions and different ways of expressing their faith. And they're all around a round table, and they're trying to figure something out. And what I have learned over my lifetime is it is so easy to find and pick out the differences that I have with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It is extremely difficult, extremely difficult, but so rewarding to find those things that we do agree on and pour gasoline on them. And once we do that, once we can come into alignment with what we agree upon, then the kingdom of God can advance. But if we get stuck in our differences, in our arguings, in our bitterness, in our hatred, in our rage, if we get stuck in thinking in our own ways, okay, you ready for this one? This is going to be a really tough word. And I, and I can say it, because I've lived it, if we get stuck in spiritual pride, the devil wins. Because he's got, he's got us at each other's throats. But there's some good news. There's some hope. And we think we have the solutions. We don't have the solution, but one person does. Now, in the past few weeks when I've been showing the clips and setting them up, I've been saying that our hero, Gandalf, is the Christ type. In this clip, he is not the Christ type. In this clip, we're going to see Frodo as the Christ type, okay? So, uh, again, the hairy dwarves and the elves, they're, they're Christians, right? From different belief systems, different backgrounds, different cultures, and kind of like at the Thanksgiving, you know, dinner table at your house, nobody agrees on anything. And just look what happens when we let Jesus. Let's roll the first clip. Okay, so from last week, the, the ring is the machine, yeah? It is the world built by men apart from God. It is the system that we all find ourselves in. It's a system that makes you think certain ways, act certain ways, be completely reliant on your technology, on your phone, makes you pay your taxes. Like we're, we're, we're in the machine now. There really is no way of getting around that. But what the scriptures tell us is that you are in the world, and that is a truth that cannot change. But just because you are in this world doesn't mean that you need to be of this world. OK? 
okay? So how do you break free from this machine? How do you, how do you fight the man, if you will? You can go the world's way, and you can fight fire with fire, where you will use the enemy's tactics to justify the means, right? Have you ever, have you ever done that? It's like, well, if they're going to fight dirty, then I'm going to fight dirty too, because I don't like to lose. That was the approach of Boromir. It's like, no, we, we've got this power. Let's use it. Let's use the enemy's force against him. Now, I mean, how do we do this practically? We can, we can do this practically, practically like, well, you know, my boss cheated me out of 10 hours of work on my last paycheck, so I'm going to just pry open the cash register. The end justifies the means. I have the ability to make things right. That, that's just one way of doing it. Uh, violence for violence sake. Uh, responding with violence, because you have experienced violence, you respond with violence. It's another way. A proper relationship with where we are in this world is vital to your spiritual growth and maturity. And it must be marked. You must mark your, your life with certain milestones that says, I am not a part of this machine. I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. This is how you do it practically. Practically, step number one is where does your time go? Where's your time go? No, no, I know everybody's working hard. I know you guys are trying to make ends meet and you've got deadlines, you've got life. Life is crazy. But in order not to be stuck in this machine as another cog in the wheel, in order for you to do that, you need to practice the rhythm of Sabbath. There's a reason why the Word of God says don't forsake the gathering. If you forsake the gathering, if you forsake this spiritual rhythm compared to the worldly rhythm, if you break that rhythm, you will find yourself stuck in this machine. So what you are doing right here today bless you for being here. Not because we need a full building. No, it's good for you to take time one day a week, one in seven, just to reflect on where you are at, how you are doing. The Jews said it this way. The Jews said it all, all, all week long. You are you're, you're weaving a tapestry. And for, for those of... I've never weaved a tapestry. But... Or I've done needlepoint or any of that stuff. But, you know, so you got the, you got the, what are they, ladies, what do you call this thing? Loom. Okay, so you have it here, and you're like working it, and you're pulling all the threads through, and it's all messy, it's all complicated, it makes no sense, and you're, you're working, 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 putting your colors together, putting your threads together, making something beautiful, but if you do not take a break and flip it around, you have no idea if what you're doing is right. And so that is the concept of Sabbath for your life because you guys are working your tails off and you're trying to raise your kids. But if you do not take one day a week where you dedicate it to the Lord, then your life is going to, you're going to start making something ugly and you're not, you won't even notice it because you're too focused on these little details on the back end. 
You know, your, your picture could have like somebody with a big giant arm or something, something really weird looking, and you don't even realize it. Yeah? That's how you stay out of the machine, you Sabbath. That's why it, it is a commandment. I mean, it's all over the scriptures. It's a commandment. And you'll get ground up if you don't Sabbath, pure and simple. So figure it out. This church, another church, one in seven. It's where you put your time. The other one is money. I know one likes me to talk about money, but I'm talking about it right now. If you do not put God's mark on your finances, if you are completely led by what the world is telling you, what you need, what you want, materialism, capitalism gone awry, if you are not tithing, then you're just, frankly, the scriptures say that you're cursed. You put a curse on your finances. Because it is going whether you like it or not. In the Old Testament, when Joshua was entering into the promised land, God says, you take, you take all of these cities, but the first one you dedicate completely to the Lord as Coram, meaning it's going to burn. So the first city in 10, there was a lot of good stuff in that city. There was a lot of gold, and you could use that gold to advance the kingdom of God, right? The end justifies the means. Have you ever done this one? Father, I'm going to go to Las Vegas, and if you let me win, I'm going to tie that, that winning. The end justifies the means, right? The spiritual principle on tithing and giving is that 10% is going to burn, whether you let God burn it or you let this machine burn it. Yeah? Does that make sense? I mean, if you just think about, like, how many times you have been murphied where you're so proud of all your accomplishments all much how much money you've made you finally can maybe getting ahead and then what happens your car breaks down you get audited murphy's law happens to you you're like oh why even bother so those are two things that we do to escape the system of the machine and the third one a little bit different than Sabbath. When you Sabbath, you are worshiping God. You are bringing your praises into the temple. But you need to be in healthy fellowship throughout the week. Fellowship, like tithing, fellowship, like worshiping, fellowship is a sacrifice. They even had fellowship sacrifices. Why? Fellowship is hard. Doing life with somebody is hard. Because it, it, if you have somebody sitting across the table that loves you and is willing to speak the truth to you, you might not want to hear it. But you have to have people in your life that are on the same path with you. Well, Pastor Josh, so-and-so hurt me all these years ago, and that was in a Bible study. Look, I get it. I totally get that. But it doesn't give us an excuse to stop offering that sacrifice. That sacrifice of fellowship with one another. What fellowship does, done right, is that it helps you grow in mutual ways. 
What fellowship does done right is that it takes each individual where they are at in their walk with the Lord and it celebrates them where they're at. Uh, fellowship done poorly is, hey, everybody, I am the spiritual guru and I'm going to tell you what to do, how to think and how to act. That's not fellowship. That's control and manipulation. Fellowship breaks bread and is, and is reflective. Fellowship that the Lord loves, it encourages new life. New ways of thinking about problems to be solved. And it's going to be tough. And offers a mirror for you to look at yourself. You know that if I am not fellowshipping with you, if I'm not fellowshipping with my wife, if I am stuck in my only child mode, I'm an only child, my parents have two only children, we're 18 years apart, it's a big mess, and I have an overactive imagination, I can be by myself for days and be okay with that. But if I stay stuck in that thing, then I have no idea what is going on in my life that is toxic. So I need you to be my mirror, right? And you, you, you need people in your life to be your mirror. A famous theologian once said, you need to chickety-check yourself before you rickety-wreck yourself. And so there must be some spiritual self-reflection. And you have to have people, healthy people around you that can help you do that. If you do not have healthy reflect, self-reflection, like you're not going to see the stuff in you that, that's not healthy, right? Now, taken too far, you get into introspection. Reflection is good. Introspection is bad because that's narcissism. That's taking the mirror too far where your narcissist staring into the mirror where all you see is you looking at you, looking at you, and all you're just focused on your own problems. I'm not talking about focusing on your own problems all the time. I'm, I'm talking about, okay, are there things in my life that need to be addressed? Is my, you got to ask yourself this question, is my relationship with the Lord dysfunctional? How would you know? How would you know if your relationship with the Lord is a dysfunctional relationship? Do you have somebody in your life that can say, you know what, that, Josh, that just seems a little whacked, that you would, you would put that kind of demand on God. That seems a little whacked that you would blame God for that situation in your life. Next clip we're going to see is, this is a big risk, but I'm going I'm I'm to go ahead and go there. But it's, it's Gollum. So Gollum is this little creature that used to be a hobbit who found the ring, who not only found himself in the world, he embraced the world. Does that make sense? So he, he, he just came completely obsessed 
with this ring. Do you know anybody in your life that's completely obsessed with running this world for, you know, just everything this world has to offer, you want to suck the life out of it? Like, I was kind of that way at one time. Like, you just want to experience everything. You want to experience Las Vegas. You want to experience pleasures. You want to experience money. You want to experience drugs. And, like, you're just all in. But in that type of a constant state of being stuck in the machine, stuck in the world, it will deteriorate you. It will make you into these little creepy monsters. So the next clip we're going to see, we're going to see Gollum, who has been infected by the system, completely sucked in. It's going to be tough. But you're Gollum. So we're going to look at this clip in a different light. Gollum is you, all right? The biggest hero out of all of the Lord of the Rings is Samwise Gamgee. He's in this clip. But in this case, he is not necessarily the hero. He is, he's the rules. He is the law. He is the one that is saying, this is absolute. This, this must be done the right way. And if you're not following the rules, then you're out. That's Sam. And then I already told you who Frodo is. That's where I'm at clip. He is deserving of punishment. He is deserving of death. And Sam was going to give it to him. He was going to give him that righteous indignation. And yet, Frodo sees something in him that most people wouldn't see. They, they just don't see hope. And of course, that little creepy creature plays a providential role in the end. He, he did have a, a part to play. When I was, last Saturday, when I was at Skid Row, I was talking to some of the community organizers and leaders, some of them who had come off the street, right? They'd, they'd come off, they, they were once drug addicts. They were once living in tents on the street. And through the grace of God and a little bit of help, they got off, they got clean, and now they're running their own ministry. Now they're giving back. It's huge, right? And, and God, this is heartbreaking, everybody. Some of the things that they're telling me is they're saying that the crystal meth thing is so bad and the fentanyl is so bad. It's worse now than it has ever been. And it's literally turning these people into these little monster crackheads. And what, what got me, what honestly kind of grieved my heart is they said, you know what? We need to focus on the next generation here. Do you know what that means? That means that they've lost hope for these people. Like, they're just going to, it's like, we need to put all of our resources into prevention so this doesn't happen, which is true. But they've, in a sense, they're like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do this thing, but there's really no hope for these people. They're, they're just too far gone. They're, they're, they're just tweaking too hard. I mean, the chances that we can get one out of 100 is a pretty big deal. So let's just put our resources somewhere else. Now, I understand that logic. But you see, Jesus doesn't work that way, now does he? 
There are no lost causes with Jesus. Jesus is the one that says, I'll go. I'll do it. Jesus is the one that says, yeah, the, the, these people are deserving of death. Like, there's no hope for them. Let's just get the electric chair out. That's what communists do, by the way. I just got political for you. How do you guys feel about that? <laughs> and Jesus says, no, there, there's a dignity in life. We're not going to lose hope. We're not going to give up on people. So, do you guys believe that? Yeah. Now, don't raise your hand. Have you ever wanted to give up on yourself? Yeah. Have you ever been to the point where things are just too hard, you've messed up too bad, you've been hurt so many times, like you just want to give up on yourself? Look, I'm telling you, and you believe it, God's not going to give up on the homeless. He's not going to give up on the addicted. There's always hope for the, the worst of the worst. And if there's hope for the worst of the worst, there's hope for you in your situation where you're at right now. So don't give up on yourselves. Pastor Josh, I'm going to go right back into that behavior. I'm going to go right back into that system. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow it once again. All right. I've said things like that. You've said things like that, but today, we're going to stop saying things like that. Amen? Amen? We're going to stop declaring curses over our lives, and we're going to start saying things that breathe life into us. That clip I showed you is called The Taming of Smeagol. Today's message is called The Taming of Yourself. You need to, you need to tame yourself. Ephesians 2, Paul knows that he needs to tame himself. The Apostle Paul, who describes himself as the Jew of all Jews, the Apostle Paul that on the road to Damascus gets blown off his horse by light and is blinded and healed, the Apostle Paul that experiences the grace of God when he wanted to murder people and Jesus stepped into his life and gave him a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone. The Apostle Paul, that although he was not one of the 12 disciples, he was personally discipled by Jesus in the third heaven. I have no idea what that means. But there's a reason why he is St. Paul and he's the most influential Christian besides Jesus. That guy says this, as for you, don't you remember how you used to just exist? Corpses, dead in life, buried by transgressions, wandering the course of this perverse world. You were the offspring of the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. How he owned you. That's the machine. Just as he still controls those that are living in disobedience. I'm not talking about the outsiders alone. Okay, do you see what Paul's doing here? He's like, I'm not talking about, you know, all of the, those people that are out there. He's talking about everyone. He's talking about the faithful. 
We were all guilty of falling headlong into the persuasive passions of this world. We had our fill of indulging in the flesh and in the mind, obeying impulses to follow the perverse thoughts motivated by dark powers. As a result, our natural inclinations led us to be the children of wrath, just like the rest of humankind. But God, I always love the but gods, but God, with the unfathomable riches of his love and mercy focused on us, united with the anointed one and infused our lives, our lifeless souls with life, even though that we were buried under a mountain of sin and he saved us by his grace. He raised us up and seated us in the heavenly realms with our beloved Jesus, the anointed, the liberating king. He did this for the reason so that for all eternity we will stand as living testimonies to the incredible riches of his kindness and his grace that he freely gives to us by uniting us with Jesus, the anointed. For it is by God that you have been saved. It is through grace that you have been saved. You have received it through faith. It was not our plan or our effort. It is the gift of the pure and simple. You did not earn it. Not one of us earned it. So don't go around bragging that you have done something amazing. For we are all the product of his hand. Heaven's poetry etched on our lives, created in the anointed Jesus to accomplish the good works God had arranged for us long ago. Then Paul will go on to say, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Why am I still afflicted by these things of this world? And it's because Paul is coming to the realization, just like you and I are, that we are in this world. And again, how do I be in this world and not of this world? I am going to give you all permission to talk to yourselves. It might seem kind of weird. You might want to do it in your car. I don't suggest that you do it at work. But I want you to do what Paul says and says, I was a child of wrath, but now I'm not. Why am I doing the things I don't want to do? Yeah? Like you need to have that conversation with yourself. You need to say, why am I doing the things I don't want to do? I know better. I know better. Why am I doing this? Why am I still repeating this behavior? Like, you need to have that, that conversation. I kind of get, you know, it's scary because, like, I don't, I don't want to promote schizophrenia here. But this is a biblical, this is a, this is a biblical hack. This is a biblical principle that we all need to embrace. King David did it, too. In his psalms, he's like, dude, David, what's the matter with you? Not exactly like that. But he says, why are you disquieted, O my soul? What's the matter with you? You know better. 
And that is that I want I want to encourage you to do that. Again, you, you're going to need a mirror. You're going to need healthy people around you. But I, I want to encourage you to start a dialogue with yourself as to what is getting you stuck. Why why don't you have any victory in your life now? When you have a conversation with yourself, with the Lord, the Holy Spirit needs to be invited into the process. If he is not, if the Holy Spirit is not invited into your self-talk, you will beat yourself up. Do you know what I'm saying? If you don't invite the Holy Spirit into your self-dialogue, you will beat yourself up. You'll trash yourself. So instead of saying, Josh, what's wrong? Why are you disquieted, oh, my soul? Why do you keep on doing this thing over and over again? So... That's a healthy conversation with myself via Holy Spirit. An unhealthy conversation with myself goes something like this. Josh, you are a freaking idiot. Okay, do you see the difference? So it's the same thing. It's the same impulse. But it is the language that we choose to use when we are ministering to ourselves is what's important. So don't trash yourself when you talk to yourself. Don't call yourself names. Don't call yourself an idiot. Don't curse at yourself. Don't curse at others. Be honest with the things that are possessing you. You have to be honest when you talk to yourself about the things that are possessing you. Because if you're not, then you're lying to yourself because God knows exactly what's going on. He just wants you to verbalize it. Last clip, and then, and then we shall be done. The last clip, again, is a bit of a stretch. And I, and I am not promoting schizophrenia here. But I want you to see what it looks like from our little creepy friend that in, in many ways is like us if we don't get a handle on things. Hey, man. All right. Let's get the band up to the front. You have that authority to tell evil to leave your mind. You have the authority to tell principalities to leave cities. You have the authority to tell the enemy of God to leave your house. Men, you need to pray a prayer of protection, a hedge of protection over your house, a canopy of prayer to pray for the safety of your children and your family. You have that assignment as a spiritual leader. Those simple declarations of power of denying evil in your life and proclaiming life into good situations, those simple proclamations. There are hundreds and hundreds of promises that are attached to those declarations. So we need to start making them now. There are hundreds and hundreds of hiccups and bumps when we start putting ourselves into alignment with curses. Cast down the curses and embrace the blessings. This is the body of Christ. 
which has been broken for you. There's always a way in the body. But let me highlight something very specific to you about the body of Christ. The people that you're sitting next to are this. When you come in and you worship on Sunday, you are literally a part of the body. When you serve together in ministry, you are part of the body. When you do life together and share what's going on, what God has done, the blessings that that you are experiencing or the hardships that you're struggling with, that's that's being a part of the body. And when the body is healthy, it advances the kingdom of God in powerful, exponential ways. How many people want to see the kingdom of God advanced in your life and in this culture? We all do. Now, what stops that? What stops the advancement of the church is what Thessalonians calls the grieving of the Holy Spirit. How does one grieve the Holy Spirit where the advancement can't take place? Grieving the Holy Spirit takes place when the machine has a hold of your soul, when you have lost hope and you are harboring unforgiveness and bitterness towards someone else, no matter what they've done. So today... We are going to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves, and we are going to ask for forgiveness, and we are going to freely offer forgiveness to those that have hurt us and that have stabbed us in the back. You might not have the emotions to do so. I want to encourage you to have the courage to make the choice to do so. The emotions will follow later. The freedom will follow later. The choice has to come first. So if you can, join me right now in the forgiveness of others. Heavenly Father, we are the body of Christ. We are your children. We are your, we are your hands. We are your feet. And as the Apostle Paul said, we are heirs. And we sit with Jesus on the throne. So God, may we live a life worthy of that calling. May we see each other without spiritual pride eyes. May we not get divided by little arguments and bickering and dissension among brothers and sisters. God, I might not have the emotions to do this right now, but I choose to forgive because you first forgave me. So in your mind's eye, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit who you need to forgive, and their face is going to pop up in your mind. And then you forgive. And when you do that, you tell the enemy of God to go and never come back. Receive the body of Christ.
the whole weight of the world, sin and death, that machine, Jesus carried to the cross. His way is the only way. We can't accomplish good with our own power, with our own will, with our own bright ideas, with our own social justice movements. We, we can't undo poverty or the evils of this world. Nothing can do that. Only what Jesus did on taking this to the cross where he says, I will go. I will solve this problem. Look, I want to be in a personal relationship with the Jesus that solves my problems. And the only way that that gets done is through the shedding of innocent blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus forgave you. You don't have to be a wretched creature anymore. You can be a beautiful saint. And that happens when this washes away all of your sins. Receive the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Thank you, Lord. Can I have the ushers come to the front? God bless you all as you give back to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this, for this sanctuary, for this opportunity to come into your presence and to worship you and to worship you in spirit and in truth. We continue our worship with you with tithes and offerings. May it be pleasing to you. Thank you, Jesus. Don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. You've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. You've got a
You guys doing good? We did a little soul work today. Working on your soul, your emotions, your character, your will, your drive, your makeup. I want to leave you with one final thought when you decide to work on yourself to do some soul work. Always have hope. Always hope that you can get better. Always hope that your situation can improve. Never lose hope. Maybe on your way out, touch that anchor on the wall. Hope is the anchor to your soul, firm and secure, holding fast so that we have the opportunity to walk in with confidence into the Holy of Holies. So if you're lacking a little confidence, if you need a little encouragement, have hope and let hope build your confidence as you move forward. May God bless you. May the God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole physical body, your mind, your soul, your spirit, may they become blameless into the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is imminent, which could be soon. The one who has called you on a journey, he is faithful, he is He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. So don't lose hope. God bless you guys. Have a powerful week.